Hello, and welcome to another episode of Adventures in .NET. I'm Sean Clever, your host, and with me today, your co-host, Wai Lu. Howdy, Wai. You doing, Sean? Oh, good, good. And that's our birthday boy. He's back, Caleb Wells. <laughs> How was your birthday? Hey, y'all. It was great. Carly made a very, Carly, my wife, made a very a big deal of it. So we, we, we had a good time. Uh, I, I turned 45. So, yeah, get, getting up there. Uh, <laughs> but it was good. It was good. Sorry, I missed when you. Catch, when you catch up, let me know. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. Our guest today, Manuel Grudner. Welcome, Hello, Manuel. guys. Hello. Hello, guys. Hey. Hello from Austria. It's, it's really late here. So. <laughs> from Austria, huh? Mm. That's the thing with the trees. Yeah. The exploding oh. trees. <laughs> Trump said that at, the, at one moment, yeah. uh, and he said, "Okay, in Austria they are they can firefight, and now we have exploding trees." Of course, we don't have exploding trees. <laughs> but anyway. I was thinking more of the the hills are alive. Yeah, <laughs> and that's what's the Iceland uh, people. <laughs> there, you uh, there you go. Isn't Arnold from there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the governor, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the governor. Yeah, there you go. Ah. It's from my city, from Graz, from the from my hometown. Oh, very cool. Yeah, cool. Very cool. So, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know what? How you got into development? What you do? What? How well, you that, that's, that's, yeah. That's, yeah, that's a long. Uh, it's a long story. I started working as, a, as an electrician about twenty years ago, or something like this. Um, but I started developing all kind of small stuff back in the days with PHP and playing around with electronics and all the kind of stuff. And going as an electrician, there was a lot of software is getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And then I had the luck that my brother went to school and learned software development. And yeah, and he followed me along and, and was like my my mentor or or uh, trainer on all the kind of stuff and I just programmed and enjoyed it and then I decided okay there is so much need for software out there and then I started working in the software industry and over time I stumbled about .NET and, and I did ever since for almost over 10 years now so I worked for different companies help them right now and I really really enjoy the all the ecosystem and the community and working with them and yeah I I think there isn't a better time to be a, a .NET developer than right now because there's so much stuff going on and they are reinventing themselves and working with the with the community is it true that there's there's actually a really vibrant startup scene in in Austria yeah there are a lot of companies focusing around 3D vision, for example. There's the robotic eyes. They're working with the Unity engine, for example. There are other parts that are working with on, on more like AI stuff and, and communication platforms. And there's a lot going on, especially in the industry sector, with 3D vision in industrial processes. For example, making photos and of in the production line and doing all kind of logistic stuff with it and quality control. And our last achievement, and I don't know if this is .NET related at all, was one of our 
in Graz, at least the mass robot that flow, the software was like 30% made from a Graz-based Austrian girl. So that's really, really cool. Mm. For working for NASA, so oh, very cool. Uh, at least what I what I read. I, I don't uh, know very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> what a pity. And what, what about you then? Well, what do you, what do you do? For the last couple of years, I am working as a consultant and as a trainee uh, trainer for companies, small, big, from small size to big size, and I'm doing all kind of contract work, but I'm. For the last couple of years, I am a Microsoft, uh, not a Microsoft MVP, a DevExpress MVP. So I'm very, very closely working with all uh, with the guys, and specifically are the focused the problems and solutions you can make with with the DevExpress product. But I'm not a DevExpress employee, so it's like it's a chicken egg problem somehow. <laughs> right. So. My understanding is that through your DevExpress MVP, you started some open source projects or working on some large open source projects. Can you tell us about those? Yeah. The thing is, I worked in open source, especially when I worked for Ranorex, the open the testing platform. I don't, there are no bot from, I think, Edera about them. There's this open and wild ecosystem of all the open source projects in JavaScript. And I worked really, really a lot in JavaScript. And for me, as a single developer guy or trainer, it's really, really hard to convince uh, larger organizations to work with your source code. And it's not that they don't want to use it, but sometimes they have the problem that management don't want to introduce new dependencies. They don't have the source. If I shut down my company, then even with contracts, they don't want to do this. And there's always this collaboration problem because one customer has the idea for, okay, we can improve this stuff. And the other customer says, okay, there's also this idea. And the, and now I am like in the middle of doing all the kind of mangling and, and, and building stuff together. And, and I thought, okay, it's that's the best idea. Just put it open source and let's work together on, on that kind of stuff. But now, of course, there's the problem. Now it's open source. Everybody can use it. So if you take the source code and and want to compile it on your own, hey, it's it's free. You can do it, but of course, that's only the one side of the metal. There's all the kind of stuff you need to support it. You need if there are new developers on the on the on the train or uh, joining the company, then stuff gets more complicated than just using source code. And I started working with a couple of companies and then I thought, okay, let's start with Xenial. And Xenial is like my overall DevExpress components that, is, that are surrounded around the Express up framework they develop. And yeah, and then the hard part kicks in, how to earn money with open source. It's interesting because right, you're coming at it from from a slightly different perspective 
um, than some of our the guests we've we've had on. We've had a number of people that that have done some open source stuff or made some some packages. For instance, Automapper is a big one, right? And he created it because he saw a need himself in developing his projects. And he just like, okay, well, I'll just put it out there for anybody to use. You're coming at it from the angle of, I have this really good tool that you guys would would like to use and would and it would work well for you. But the whole buy-in, if it's, like you said, an actual enterprise product or whatever you want to call it. It's so a middle, you open sourced it. Yeah. And it's now a you gotta figure out how to monetize it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's like a middle ground. But it's it's the same thing. I, I work with different clients and I had the problem that I have this developed for 10 years or so, or or at least I worked in a different style in, in different perspectives and made them better and better and better and better and then just copied copied it over from project to project to project. And and getting the common ground and also maintaining like, okay, there is a, now you have 10 clients and now DevExpress releases a major version every six months or something like this. And then you have the problem, okay, now I I need to update this component or this component or this component or this component with all the different client projects because every client wants to upgrade their solution to the latest version to get the latest bits from DevExpress. And so you have like this dependency tail problem where I am like hopping on top of, of the DevExpress. So it's like, and then you are just updating components and you don't have time for doing new clients and, and stuff like this. So it's it's a chicken-neck problem, working with the latest and greatest and also supporting all, all the customers. And sometimes they have different ideas in which direction they want to go, but going on open source really can help solve a lot of problems for smaller individual devs like me. Because it sounds like it's more than one person's job, to be honest. Yeah, I'm describing, yeah um, it, it, it is. It person is. And a coder. It, it is, it is. But on the other hand, it's like jumping and get, getting onto your uh, on the feet uh, with such a product is hard if you do it on your own. And so you can at least grab some help from people you're working on day on and day off. If it's, for example, documentation or smaller bug fixes, for example. Yeah. Yeah, but that then the hard part kicks in and that's what it, how to monetize it. Mm. So do you wait for the customer to come to you or are you like kind of cold calling firms and asking them if they want to use your plugin or whatever? It's, but actually, what are you? So you said you're you're affiliated with DevExpress. I don't actually know too much about DevExpress. Are you saying you you, you make the product or you you make like a com- component within DevExpress? We did have Mark Miller on the show, and he's you know he's worked with, with DevExpress. He does code. Yes. Rush, so. yeah. Code Rush. Yeah. Yeah. I think Code Rush is like Rishapar. I think almost every .NET developer knows it. Yeah. DevExpress is just a component vendor like Telerik, and they produce all kinds of components and framework and they have JavaScript and WPF and WinForms and all the kind of stuff. And the thing is, it is like a sidecar show. You don't want to, especially in a corporate environment or an enterprise environment, you don't want to mix all kinds of dependencies in. 
on the on the one hand to reduce developer license costs because that express license isn't cheap and then it needs to mix and match the architecture you're you're working on in a project for at least most of the clients I work with and but on the other hand you need often a lot of plumbing and and, and handcrafting for example if you want to tie in OAuth providers for example for Google or for Microsoft because they need to write a website or an external web service but they want to keep more or less in their ecosystem and there is where this open source project really can help you solve some of the plumbing and all that kind of nitty gritty details because a lot of enterprise development is more they don't care so much about how stuff is magnet under the under the hood from the technical the perspective yeah the yeah. boilerplate stuff yeah. they just want to do the best thing you can have is like building applications with Legos because you have so many areas you need to work on like reporting stuff security this there and all the internal stuff is so much going on and some and especially now with COVID and all the digitalization like okay and now we have 10 ex external people and we want those external people to work with our software. We normally do the reporting stuff. We don't have any idea how to deal with this. And then the framework can help and the components in the framework can help, especially those companies and guys in the, in the development departments. So somebody that wants to uh, monetize their open source product that they're working on, yeah. should they go like the freemium route where most features are free and then they charge for some or they go free product and charge for support. You know, there's lots of different ways you can go about it. Yes, that's really, really an interesting question. I think I thought about this for more than six months or almost one year or so, something like this. Is it depends on what does a consultant say if you have a, product, a problem? It depends. <laughs> if you have... For example, a library like Automapper or that is like implementing a protocol or something like this. I think the best option you have is like getting a really, really, really broad adoption and then monetize it, for example, via GitHub sponsorship or Patreon Nash or something like this, because you have millions and millions of users of your library, at least if it's JSON.net or Automapper. Then I think you can you can monetize it in that way that it pays off all the all the costs. Or you can write a book about it that worked the last ten years because it's more focused about technology and not about support and working with the people that really implement the stuff on the on the very uh, business side of details. For example, if you if you do a web shop and you implement, for example, some kind of payment gateway that plugin that automatically ties together a credit card and, and all the all the kind of stuff you have to do to sell products online and put this into your website, then I think support onboarding is the better way and putting the stuff open source to iron out all the rough edges and doing the security kind of stuff. I did go another way 
and that is like writing my own licensing system because it's really complicated to tie together all the versioning stuff because now I have two vendors, me and DevExpress, and I have to I have a, an agreement with them. So I need to line up version numbers and stuff like this. Where is where starts their support, where ends my support? And I can guarantee you don't go this route. If you're one person, don't go this route. It's way too complicated. It's way too time expensive and troublesome. But and there's the neat thing. I think I can learn a lot from that lesson. And maybe you can make a product out of it. So other developers that think they have an open source library, they really want to pull out there and monetize it on with that platform. So are you looking to pivot to a different type of, of monetization now that you've you've gone through the process and like you said it's it, there's more overhead than you really have time for as one yes. developer. Yeah. yeah. And, and, the, and the thing is, it should be easy to monetize a little bit out of it because the, the thing is, for example, see JSON.net. JSON.net is open source. Uh, did you ever compile JSON.net yourself? Did you ever get through the hassle of compiling the library yourself, keeping it alive and all the kind of stuff? And that's my understanding or at least from the monetization perspective of putting stuff online. So it lives online. If somebody wants to steal the source code, he can do If it really takes the advantage and copies the source code, sure, why not? If he goes down that road so far, compiling on all, all of a sudden, okay, then he, then he can have it. It's like when uh, when uh, when a cat goes into your backyard and, and steals your own cat, your food. It's not it's a pretty, but okay, go for it. But on the other hand, if you have like millions of downloads or hundreds of downloads, and, and you there's a lot of work in there. You have to support it. I think thirty percent of my time right now is just answering answering questions on Gitter, on Facebook chat, on all, all the kind of platforms, and needs to be monetized in any way and so why not take two cents or one dollar per download one dollar is a little bit high but it's just a house number and but programming this kind of licensing platform is really really cubism and you don't want to do this i don't want to do that myself anymore <laughs> not again <laughs> so so how did you build your community because it seems like you said you're gitter and facebook and um, i guess maybe discord and it's really more than one person can manage how did you to build that out and have you thought about bringing on other people to support moderators or, or whatnot yeah that the thing is that it grow like uh it grow, grow it's not grown organically but on the other hand, it was like, okay, I am a DevExpress user. It started all like this. I'm a DevExpress user. I asked the question on the forums so, uh, because compilers were slow back then and I had a lot of time reading on the DevExpress forums. And then I started because I knew the answer to the question. And then I started answering questions for... So I did basically support work for DevExpress, but they didn't ask me. 
It's just they had a common for common function, just help the community. And then the more and more and more and more and more and more and then uh, and then it stopped because I started at Ranoids working on, on the testing tools. And uh, and then people were like complaining about where basically they wanted to contact me in that time frame and they ask me questions and they email and they say, okay, I, I would love to join the conference, but I can't. I uh, need to work for Android. I, I can't do stuff for Flash Express anymore. Like sometimes it is if you if you work for a different company. And then Android were bought by Idera and then they closed the facility in Graz. So I was back on, on my own again and then Stuff magically started to grow. We had some clients, and we started the community stand-up because some MVPs were writing with me, and then the community grew, and now we have like 1,000 people on Facebook group and, and LinkedIn. And, and so the market itself grew, grew on our work, helping out people, like with Stack Overflow. It's like, hey, you have a question? No problem. So it's... it's it's building up your your community about the problem domain or problem domain is the wrong word because it's it's all the Def Express components and you can do about it. and now it's Blazor and all the kind of crazy stuff that's going on because everybody is experimenting and, and, and now there's a much of expertise asked out there. So and there's a lot of lessons you can learn from that and put it back into the open source stuff. But the, the hardest part yourself. Well, go ahead. Uh, the, the hardest part I had in the last couple of weeks, months, was like with Identity Server. Because Identity Server follows the same model, kind of, and now they switched it. There was like full open source and only consulting. And I adopted Identity Server for people that are using XPO. That's the entity framework of DevExpress, so the ORM layer. Because when they're locking or they don't want to use entity framework, and now they switched to clusters version. And uh, I don't have the name on it, but they opened another company and they say, okay, identity server is now identity server and uh, is will be open source, but it's in maintenance mode. And now they made a, a pure commercial product out of it. And then I'm going the other way around. So, but I have no idea what's the better mm. choice of those. I think I, I you know over the years I've tried to you know, do a few I guess, startups, if you will, um, with my own either SaaS product or just some sort of side project and stuff. And I think the biggest surprise is um, for me is just basically realizing how much um, non-dev um, skills you got to utilize and how much not how much time you spend not devving. Like a lot yeah. of it is just support. Like if you if you build any sort of product um, for a business, um, the first thing they're going to ask for is, well, if it whole breaks, who am I going to call? You know? And pretty much makes it pretty hard to, to, to do that if you've just got a start side project and a, and a full-time job. Yeah. And um, that's basically every time you start thinking about self-employing and doing yeah. some kind of startup, my eyes will tell... It is 11 or almost 12 p.m. or 1 a.m. here. So it is a lot of work. And you 
need to do a lot of stuff. You, you need, need to do the taxes. You need to, even if you have like a simple onboarding for one mm. single uh, documentation PR, um, if your community is arguing about anything, you need to get in All there right, and yeah. say, oh, yeah, and, okay, then that's the way we go. That's the way you, you have to, mm. to lean the boat into the right direction. But the, the neat thing about open source is you can work with the community and you don't have to do any, not every single piece yourself. You are more the captain on the boat. And realizing that and stepping back from, from the keyboard, and that's the hard part. At least for me, it was. Sometimes I'm like, oh, now I want to program in this kind and I want to try out the crazy idea. Okay, do that. Make the crazy idea, but until it gets back into the open source project, it will take some time because you need to control the quality and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, the community really tries to help out as much as they can. You know, yeah. whenever you find a product that you really like and have an interest in, you know, you want it to be better as well so that more people, you know, get on it and it becomes more popular because, you know, you found that it was useful to you and you want other people to know it's useful. And, and or if you find something that's wrong and you get impatient and it's like, I need this bug fixed. Well, if it's open source, you can get in there and contribute and, and help out. For me, for example, it was that patience nice. It's like I had a guy that really, really, really wanted, wanted to help out in, in documentation. And he's really a great doc author. And I read through a couple of, of his changes and, and, and rephrasing. So it's more readable and understandable for for everybody in the in the project. And for me, as a long-time Git user and working on all the open source, he never worked with GitHub before. And I was like, I'm impatient. It takes so much time. I just want to get it in and moving moving on. But sometimes you really, really need to have patience with everybody on the project. And on the long run, it turned out really, really well. And he learned something. I learned more about writing docs than ever. That's... For me, as a non-English native, it's mm-hmm. as I could write it in German, but then nobody else would understand. <laughs> but writing good docs is, is a valuable skill, and, and you have to listen anybody that wants to contribute. And that's patience. Patience. Yeah, it's, it's actually interesting because um, I think, like, as a dev, um, you know, I've, I've kind of helped out a few open source projects and stuff. Probably the because the hardest part for me is not really the, the learning the GitHub stuff. Um, that's you know that's that's pretty standard, I guess. Um, but the it's actually just like it's, it's quite daunting looking at a, a new piece of code, I guess. Um, so if you so you know short of time, if you have a there's a bug, you could try to fix it and stuff. But if the if the code base is big enough, you just don't really know where to even start, I guess. So how do you how do you onboard a, a new dev who wants to be a contributor to your project? It's a good question. I, I think it's it's not that different from a normal commercial company. If that except there's no money now, so. <laughs> there, there is money if it's if it, if it's if it's well led. Uh, oh, no, I mean for the contributor. Like, for the, for the con- yeah. contributor, yeah. Okay, there there's two sides two sides from the metal because if he's up on the hill and he already contributed 
contributing. So then you've done the one thing right, making the project appealing to be worth of contributing. It's got getting people engaged and want to help on the project, onboarding them, for example, for coding guidelines, putting things in the right direction is 80%. Direct communication, try to document as much as possible. Sometimes lowering the surface area. For example, you mentioned the bug fix. Often there is an issue pointed down and then, okay, we need to find out the area where to uh, fix that bug and then helping guide them down that rabbit hole into the source code and say, okay, yeah, that, that's, that it's influenced by this component and this component and now we can isolate that and then helping them, for example, writing a test suite to mitigate the fact where, where is the bug and then it evolves naturally. Instead are, you, of, are you finding that when you get a new contributor, you're you're spending a lot of time yeah. helping him? Like, of course, you need to help him, but it, it doesn't need to be a one-on-one video call mm-hmm. or something like this. It's more like finally, granularly going down the GitHub issue and through the discussion mm-hmm. about the code, putting them in the right direction, and then suddenly a PR pops up, and then you can. <laughs> anger about all the coding standards and everything we like to discuss mm-hmm. about types of spaces and all that kind. But there but that's the that's not that different from doing it on a commercial software project. The 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 only thing is you it's the time difference. Mm-hmm. Because if you're working in a company you can sit side by side and do you do it in half an hour. Yeah. And and on open source that can last three days, but mm. it's, it doesn't matter if, if the fix goes out today in open source. It's more the quality and mm. all the contribution side of them. Because if it's really, really time-consuming or we need to fix the bug right now, then fork it and build your own. Um, so you're talking about right spending one-on-one time with people, which limits your time do you do anything like a, a stand up with your devs or community group or, or meet up on, on yeah you know, a weekly or monthly basis to get everybody on the same page yeah we have the xaf community startup we call it so from the arizona group i'm a first as a day one user there and we meet every second thursday of the month and uh, we t- we talk all the ship XF, Def Express, Blazor, all the line of business kind of stuff, but we trick around a lot. So pop on, you can, we have a YouTube playlist uh, with all the videos out there. It's like we started last April. So it's a couple of them, almost a year. I think this, this month should be a year. And uh, yeah. But the XAF community is like a smaller sub-community in the DevExpress group because it's this line of business application framework. But there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. Where is Blazor heading? What's with Xamarin? Now is Maui and all the all the kind of stuff. Because the line of business community uh, is a little bit slower, but they need to focus on 
long-term goals. So if, for example, this, uh, Maui dies uh, with next build conference, then it's a dead horse. But that's just a speculation or not. It's, it's just an example. And so you want to bring along all your from ASP X to place or stuff. So we discuss all that in all that direction. There's actually been a few times where I've tried to uh, contribute to open source and got a little bit frustrated because, you know, I saw a need in somebody's product. And so I downloaded it, made a change, issued a PR, and they look at it and go, no, we don't want to do this. Thanks. It's like, ah, why did I spend all that time, you know, trying to help you out, make your thing better. And then you just reject what I did. I think from now on, it's like, if I'm going to do something like that, I'm going to ask the author, hey, I want to do this. Is this something you're yeah, create an issue in first. before? <laughs> yeah. Because I just thought for sure that my idea was just really made it a lot better. And they just said, nah, no thanks. There's one project I blocked about it was pretzel. And the pretzel was like at the time where I was has the thing called from from GitHub, the static site generator. I have no idea of how, how is it called? Let me just quick. GitHub pages? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, but the, the tool is like called Pages. It's a, it's a Ruby project. I have no idea how it was called. But that's like with the liquid syntax and all that kind of stuff that was back in the day, seven, seven, six, seven years ago before static sites were even a thing. And it was Pretzel. And I used Pretzel today for working on my blog and using it on... And then .NET Core come along and it was a, a, a .NET project. And I thought, okay, hoping bringing up Pretzel back to life and, and did a couple of PRs, wrote a couple of issues and really, really worked with the community. And we managed to port it to .NET, to .NET Core. It was really, really a journey. And after a while, it, Steam got out of, uh, of the project. And that's fine because... I use my own fork of pretzel today and now I can customize it whatever whatever I want. But sometimes it is hard to jump on a project or an open source project. But I started the wrong way as well because I just opened the PR and I said, okay, now is this system command line thing in experimental mode. And now I've rewrote the whole architecture of all the command line arguments. And then, oh, no, we don't do that here. And then we work together. So it's, you don't, sometimes an idea is just looks good to you, to yourself. But in the broader picture, it's maybe it's not, maybe it's just, okay, it's fun to play around with, with stuff. But there was, like hundreds of people using this using that software. You can't change uh, dashes for slashes on the command line argument because you will break every block out there that is using pretzel. It's like, and then it's like slowing down yourself, and it's not harsh, and it helps just making better software for all of us, more stable, more productive. I I imagine if you're managing an open source project like Pretzel or like your project or the one that, that Sean did the PR for, if you've been doing it for a while and you want to continue for all, you have to maybe think ahead, right? Uh, you brought up Blazor. 
But three or four years ago, laser didn't exist. And for a couple of years, nobody knew if it was going to come out of the experimental phase. How, for you, how do you determine when to incorporate something into your open source project or, or extend your open source project to support something? It's an experiment. It's all the, all the time an experiment. Sometimes it is, it's an experimental branch where you try out crazy new ideas, talk about it, and see if it works. And if it doesn't work, throw it away. It, it is source code, but you learn something from it. The hard part is not building the stuff around and upon this technology. The hard part is seeing where the wind is trailing you, where, where the industry is going. And that's nothing you can do without trying it out. And on the other hand, trying it on experimental or even real projects, that's nothing different from any commercial software. I think Node.js wouldn't be a thing if if they didn't try it again and again and again and then Express come out and all, all the kind of stuff and JavaScript and, and all that explosion because it just worked. And we now experiment 50 years with JavaScript. And I think we have we are now in the reincarnation phase of .NET, going back to IoT devices, steering robots, and, and and all that kind of stuff, where .NET was usually tied to the desktop only. So it's experiments, and and if it doesn't work, throw it away. How about open source licensing? Do they all allow for commercial monetization of it, or do some say no? Everything's got to be free. That's the open source OSS question. To be honest, there are a lot of companies and guys online or people that don't care about licensing at all. And I think that's a really, really, that's a problem for all of our industry. It's like, I can't go into the grocery store and steal the banana because there is no price tag on it. The, Real open source versus is it really open source, open source, like Linux, Unix, GNU compatible kind of question. It's like, I think it's better to have the stuff at least open source where sources are available than having closed source at all. So you never get access to, to, the, to the sources. Yeah, there's a versus, difference, there's a difference between, between open source and public source. Yes, yeah, and that's 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 exactly the thing. It's it's better to have public source than to live in a really pure open source world where everything is free, because we software developers need to live from something as well. We need to eat, we need to pay our rents, and if you aren't on the lucky side of working for a comp for a company that really encourages you to work in open source. Like Microsoft, for example, doing all, all ASP.NET development in the open and getting a really good paycheck, then I think public source is better than open source. But time will tell, I guess. But at least I am going the pubs open source route. Yeah, I, I, I'm thinking of like public source to be like your source code is out there, but you're not really necessarily taking pull requests or things like that. You just want you know, people to be able to see it and kind of that type of, you know, provide feedback rather than actually be a con contributor. 
but totally fine with licensing, like like MIT licensing versus all the other, other options. I've never read them, the fine print. So, you know, does it say I can, you know, do a freemium model and, and have part free and part not? Or do they say, no, everything's got to be free once I go to get this license? Yeah, the 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 thing is the thing is with 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 open source or this is like partial open sourcing or partial public source, partial closed source or partial open source, partial service oriented stuff like they did, for example, with Alpha Zero. That's all open source. You can grab the source code, do your own identity provider on your own, but. Everything branding is is gone. It's it's the, the the core model. Only the core is open, and everything else is is closed source. If you're doing like a, that kind of of application where you can build a service around it, that's the perfect way to share knowledge with all the people outside. But it's for smaller individuals. That's not a way to go because. There's so much overhead doing all the kind of stuff. Time will tell if it if it works. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> yeah, time will tell. Time will tell. You know, we're what about 20 years into into .NET, so and it's still moving along well. And it's a vibrant community, lots of exciting things. You know, Blazor, you know, Malware. Source generators is the yeah. next. Yeah. Source generators is the next really, really, really exciting part because there's just so much space to explore around and I and that's that's the neat thing about open source uh, and doing a freemium model is for example source con- uh, source generators you can write completely in the open but because they are so complicated nobody can just copy paste them <laughs> at least at the moment <laughs> no but they really 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 help and it's like bringing back this like macro programming or macro programming or meta programming or it's not c++ crazy hell meta programming but it's at least gives you the ability to do some really really crazy like injecting code into another person project with a new bit package and i think that's the next level and i use that feature a lot with my licensing stuff so it's like a Chicken egg problem again. <laughs> All right. Well, I think I'm going to move us into picks. That was interesting. Yeah. Lots of good source information about open source there. Thanks a lot. So uh, for picks, I think I'll go first and I'm going to do it. I'm going to bring it up and say my pick this week is Visual Studio 2022. It's going <laughs> 64-bit. 64-bit, yeah. buddy. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Did you try out? Is the, is the beta out, right? I, I think there might be an early you know, bring version of it for 2022. So, yeah. So they're saying it's going to be out this summer. So that's in the blog post that I'll put in, in the show notes. So uh, this is in April right now. And they say that the first public preview of Visual Studio 2022 will be re- released this summer. So public is this summer there's probably insider previews right now but yeah 64 bit they've got a little example of it showing it's loading a a solution with 1600 projects and around 300,000 files 
and doesn't run out of memory. So that's a nice thing. I, I would have needed that ten years ago. <laughs> <laughs> the extension so it sounds like it's a complete code rewrite too. then. Them. Sorry. Sounds like it's just a complete code rewrite for them. Yeah. yeah. From the ground up. And uh, now hopefully all the extension providers will uh, keep up and get their 64-bit version out mm. the same time this comes out. But aren't they out of proc anyway? Like ReSharper is not out of process. Okay. So they're, they've, been working, they've been working on it for quite some time to get ReSharper out of process, but uh, yeah. it's not. If you use Writer, their IDE, it is out of process. But In code browser, it is out of proc. Yeah, so. yeah. Mark, Mark Miller, yeah, he... We talked all about that. He's like, what? My mine doesn't need to do that. So <laughs> I know that very, very well because I worked on sadly the project was canceled. We wrote at Ramorex the web testing tool. So it was like Visual Studio code for writing Selenium tests. And there was all the kind of crazy that's with like language server protocol and getting everything out of proc. And we really, really had hard times debugging all the kind of all the kind of stuff. But great to see. Great to see. All right, Caleb, what's your pick? My pick is a TV show on Amazon. And I guess it's it's been out for a little while now, but um it's actually a cartoon called Invincible. And it's based off of a, a comic book, but it's definitely not for children. It is. It's got some. It's like an adult I mean, swim type thing. Well, it's great. It's got the the like the Spider Man look and feel like of the Spider Man and Batman uh, cartoons, but but there's definitely some adult themes there. You know, violence and death and whatnot. Anyway, it's interesting. I'm only a couple episodes in. All right, I'm always. Trend something new and seeing if it sticks. And so far, I'm I'm enjoying this one. Nice. Yeah. What What do you got for us this week? Why? So this time it's another Netflix thing. It's a like a documentary about Bill Gates called uh, Inside Bill's Brain, um, which I pretty much only watched this week. It's pretty short. It's only like three episodes, but it's a little bit of a commercial actually about how great he is and stuff like that. But um, <laughs> I find him really interesting, to be honest. Like, you know, have you been guys, vaccinated? What's that? <laughs> yeah, you, 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 you got a chip fun. inside you. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. It. It's 6G, not just 5G. So, uh, no, not, like, the, uh, not the laser shit 5G. <laughs> yeah. no, no, I find him a really you know, fascinating person. You know, he's done a lot. So, yeah, it's, just, it's a nice documentary. So, no, okay, I, I have yeah. a, a small one. I have a YouTube channel from Chavari, and I'm a Video player, so I really, really enjoyed this video in the time frame of the pandemic where I couldn't play as much pool as I like to, and I learned a lot watching his videos. But fortunately, I have bought a pool table a couple of months ago, so now I can be. I try to get some ball control <laughs> and stuff like this. So, yeah, very cool. So if, if our listeners have questions, they want to help out with maybe your open source project or anything like that, how should they get in touch with you? Yeah, I have my blog, blog.delegate.a.t, so for Austria. And follow me on Twitter and GitHub. I think on Twitter, it's biohazard999. Like, and on GitHub, it's biohazard999. 
So, or just send me an email. I think you will link them in the show descriptions. So it's m.g.gruppner.delegate.at. And if everything, if there is any other questions, maybe they just follow me along in, in, in some kind of DevExpress forum issue. I still answer their questions. So to this day. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. Well, thank you. If our listeners want to reach out to the show, they would get, get in touch with us. We'd love to hear your feedback. They can find me on Twitter. I am at .NET Superhero. And Caleb dun, Wells. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Caleb Wells Coates. The dun dun, dun, dun dun was for Sean, not for me. I'm I'm <laughs> oh. just I'm just Caleb Wells. Right, Coates. Superhero yeah. too. <laughs> thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for the no, email. thanks for coming. Yeah, uh, thanks. Uh, I'm sure you, you'll get a good night's sleep now. <laughs> yeah, it's almost one one a.m. Almost. Oh wow. All right, cool. Thanks, well, thanks again. All right. Thanks. We'll catch everybody on the next episode of Adventures in .NET. Bye, y'all. Bye-bye. Thanks.